Thank you so much for joining me for this, the return of the mother of all programs here on the HTH iTalk Radio Network. This is the return of Healing Through Hurt iTalk Radio. I am so happy to be back with you in our original time slot of 9 p.m. on Saturday evenings. Tonight we have a very, very special guest who's going to be talking about an issue that we right now we're not hearing very much about, but it is an emerging issue that we need to get a jump start on right now. And that topic is, of course, the inequity in our educational system and how the system is failing our children. Uh, we have um, my special guest tonight is Dion Thompson-Golden. 
She is an educator. She is a passionate educator. Uh, welcome to those of you in the call uh, queue. If you'd like to be on air, please press the number one on your phone, and we will bring you on a little bit later. We do have, I see Simo is over in our chat room. Uh, um, Tarjay is joining us as well. Tarjay can, of course, jump in and uh, give us some um, insight on how she feels about having young children still in the uh, educational system. And, of course, Simo is an educator as well. So hopefully everyone will have something to bring to our program this evening. If you heard our last uh, Focus Females Global Chat Cafe program uh, last Saturday, you know that Dion is very passionate about what she does and about the children whose minds she is attempting to mold. But it's kind of hard when you have a system that's working against you. So with that said, Dion, sister, welcome to the program. Um, I know this is going to be fire because I felt your passion last week, and um, I'm going to turn the mic over to you to tell us first and foremost a little bit about who Dion is and um, how long you've been in the educational system and all of that before we jump right into this matter that is of the utmost of importance at this point. Good evening, good evening, good evening, everyone, and thank you, Dr. Wall, for having me on this platform. I want to say that I come with you to you guys just talking about my experience from my scope. I know that there's other educators on here, parents, um, stakeholders in the community and things of that such, and I believe in having a collective conversation that we all bring something to the table. Uh, the only way that we can get this done is through team. There is an African proverb that talks about a central village, and in these times we need our village. We need our village. We needed our village before, but we really need our villages now. Um, I just want to give a little bit of background on me. I am a product of the inner city of Baltimore. For those of you who are from Baltimore, I am from Park Heights. I live on St. Ambrose Avenue behind St. Ambrose Catholic Church. So when they say if anything good can come out of Park Heights, absolutely, a lot of good can come out of Park Heights. Um, myself, along with a lot of people that I've grown up with, uh, have come out of Park Heights and they have excelled in whatever profession that they have chose to do. Um, so a little bit about myself. Growing up, I was what you would call an enigma because I had two parents in my household in there. But what they didn't understand is that the, the male figure that was there was my stepdad. I grew up uh, hearing that I was an Oreo cookie, that I was black on the in outside, white on the in uh, inside, because I didn't go to the schools that were zoned there. I went to Roland Park. I went to the schools where the mayor's children went and things of that nature. Not that they couldn't do that, not that they, um, that, that wasn't in their reach. However, they probably didn't have the support that I had. And, again, we'll talk about the inequalities in education that probably stopped them from doing such. Um, prior to that, I, um, my story is not a story of glamour. Um, I, I finished my degree later in life. I started out before. I went to the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. I stopped 
I had some other duties. Um, I was hired through the Arthur Frederick County. I've been a disability advocate for years. I was a case manager through the Arthur Frederick County. Um, after that, I left and I went to Texas, Austin, Texas. I lived in Austin, Texas. I, lit, I worked for the Department of Aging and Disability Services, and I traveled through all the 13 regions in Texas, and I um, did the annual survey for these programs to determine whether they had money to provide services for people that have um, mental health and mental um, intellectual disabilities. In Texas, they're still a little behind because they still use the word mental retardation, and we know that that's not um, correct. So they have intellectual disabilities. But I work for the Department of Aging, Mental Health and Mental Retardation, MHMR. I also um, investigated abuse, abuse, neglect, and exploitation cases for people with intellectual disabilities. So you guys get, you see where I'm coming from. I'm coming from that advocacy role that um, those people who don't have the cognitive awareness and ne uh, necessarily to advocate for themselves as well as their families, their families are dis disenfranchised as well, or it's hard to work through these systems that are in place. Um, I decided that when I came back, I, um, I came back here on the East Coast. I got married to my husband, uh, James Golden. I worked a little bit with the disability population again, and I decided that I was going to return to school so that I can get my degree to work in education. I went back and I received a bachelor's in elementary education, and I received a bachelor's in special education. I did a dual program. Right now I'm currently seeking a master's degree in educational leadership. Um, to be continued, however, .com. I, um, so some of the positions that I've held in the public school sector is some of the paraeducation positions where I was an assistant in the classroom. I was a program manager for the after-school program. I just took positions that was available. I was led by the Holy Spirit to take whatever positions. And I just believe that in those positions, it allowed me to get a broader scope of the system at large because it's always a us against them or we against you know them or something of that nature so being coming from that lens i'm able to kind of sit back and see everybody's viewpoint currently i work at a middle school in lancaster pennsylvania i am the emotional support teacher for those of you who don't understand what emotional support is it is students who receive special education services, they have an IEP, and their primary diagnosis is emotional disturbance. A lot of the students in my class and the students in emotional support at large in our district, and I can't go further to say in other districts are children of color, our brown and black children, predominantly our brown and black men, boys, and we'll get into that a little later. Um, on average, my classroom is maybe 10, 10 to 12 students with the capacity of 15 uh, in a public education setting. I do have, um, I want to say, out of that 10, 80, um, uh, 20% is our Caucasian. So from 10, 20, you can do the math and know how many students are Caucasian. However, they are low income and they have some of these strikes and some of these inequalities in education that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, I do teach at a Title I school. For those of you who don't understand Title I, Title I, or I'm just going to tell you, it's people who are poor. 
people who are poor and low income, low income and poor people. 100% of the students in my school receive free and reduced lunch. Those of us who've been in the school system for a while, I know I have been. I grew up in um, the inner city. However, when I filled out my sheet, I didn't qualify for lunch because my parents made just enough, a little bit more than what was required um, for those income gaps there. Um, so tonight, I did, I have notes everywhere. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, again, like Dr. Wall said, I'm very passionate about this. But some things that I want to talk about is, um, I, and, and I don't want to be ignorant to what's going on in the nation today, and I know all of that ties in mm-hmm. to what's going on in the inequalities in the educational system. But, again, I'm just talking from my lens, and I, I want to give honor and respect to the movement that's going on. Uh, we um, we give um, condolences to uh, Floyd, uh, the Floyd family, also Breonna Taylor, all those people who, um, Ahmad, those people who have suffered um, the injustices that are going on in our world today. Um, we, um, we lift up and we pray those that are out protesting, those people who are being tra- change agents. We lift up and pray for all those grassroots organizations that's coming through and all the good things that are coming out. We also pray for those who still um, operate in the lens of racism because they need prayer too. Um, we pray for all of them and everything, and we just want to um, – you know, cover all them, and I don't want to feel like that I'm insensitive in this season because that's not my goal and that is not my aim. So some of the things that I want to talk about as far as the inequalities in education, we want to talk, number one, about policies. Policies are modeled on privilege, and I know that we know about privilege. And when we talk about privilege, we know we have white privilege and we also have black privilege. I know some of you probably like, what is she talking about? So we know white privilege is predominant. There's those those people that they are in positions of power. They can vote systems and policies to um, benefit those of their kind. Um, it leaves little room for human variations, and these attitudes are molded around privilege as well. So we see that in education. If you go into an urban school and a suburban school, even the structure itself, so prior to this school year, no, the school year before last, my school was renovated. It's not even completely renovated. And in the process of renovation, we still had to educate in that renovation. I'm talking about cords and walls coming down and everything. That would never have happened in one of our um, suburban schools. So even in suburb, suburban schools, you can see the structure. I'm talking about the physical effects, the brick and the mortar of the school. Um, it's better. It's more appealing. Some of our schools still have bars on them. Um, some of our schools don't have central air. We have to close down our schools so kids are losing instructional time when the heat, um, when it gets hot outside, when the heat index is too high, or when it gets too cold because they don't have heating. So again, those policies are molded around privilege. So um, we want to talk about uh, the black privilege. So I. I am not a millionaire, but I consider myself a soon-to-be millionaire, a thousandaire. So in some circles, the circles that I am in educationally with my students and their families, I have what is called black privilege. 
So I have to use my black privilege to make sure that I be a voice for them. It's no need in us being able to get into these places, be able to um, matriculate through uh, these higher education institutions of education and not use it for the good of those Mm -hmm. that, you know, that are a part of who, can I say it like this, who these policies have their knees on their neck. So I know you guys heard that throughout um, what's going on with George Floyd. So a lot of these policies have their knees on their neck for our children. So some of the issues in um, inequality is access. Let let us take a breather for a second. You already have some questions coming in, and I want us to not get too far into this. Um, The question is I'm not familiar with. Um, oh, the question initially was, she said that she's an emotional support teacher. I said yes. And then the question went on to say, um, I am not familiar with that. Does she teach all subjects with an aid in the classroom, or is this a self-contained type of classroom? Is that what she means by emotional support teacher? I'm confused. So let's, so. Okay. So let's clear the I do apologize, and as you guys know, my cadence is kind of fast when I talk. So, um, Dr. Wall, I, I, I need you to stop me because that's just who I am, um, especially <laughs> when it's something that I'm passionate about. So, yes, um, my classroom is um, I teach all core content. So I teach math. I teach science. I teach ELA, which we call communication arts. Then I have a um, – some social studies embedded in what is called social skills or self-development. So in the social skills and self-development, on my board I have some um, I developed because I was basically giving these children um, and say, teach them. And I'm just going to be honest, teach them. We need an emotional support teacher, teach them. I was not get, I'm, there is a curriculum, and we'll get into curriculum later because curriculums don't suit our kids with curriculums that they have. So I teach them math, science, communication arts, social studies, and uh, social skills and self-development, a lot of S's. So in my social skills and self-development class, what I came up with is I know what I need to balance interpersonal, peer, and adult relationships. So these are the children who – not necessarily are um, they have cognitive disabilities, but these are the children that you see that are always going off. They throw chairs. They curse at their teachers. Um, they fight each other. So, like, anything you could imagine that you see on TV, Joe Clark School and all that kind of stuff, so those are the children that they gave me to teach. But those are not the children that I teach because of, the work that I had put in, um, that that's just not the result for the outcomes that I get in my classroom. So to to the, every kid in my class has an IEP. Some of them, again, uh, as we'll talk um, soon, they're over-identified because of the trauma that they had and how they cannot process that trauma. They throw chairs, they do all this other stuff. They have these labels now. And, and, and if I could be honest with you, and I have this conversation with my students, if I would teach you based on the IEP that came into my classroom, I would be scared of you. But I know better, you know, because I've, I've lived their experience 
or similar to their experience, not quite their experience, but similar to their experience, or I can identify or have empathy for it. Another question, Dr. One more question, yeah. Now, you keep saying IEP. Now, some people hear that word, but they don't know what that acronym means. So could you delve a little bit into that? So IEP is called an Individual Education Plan. So in your IEP, Individual Education Plan, it identifies services that each individual student needs in order for them to have a um, free and appropriate public education. So you'll see the acronym FAPE, Free Appropriate Public Education. So the IEP is basically um, the roadmap to what we use to educate these particular students. So some have services on their IEP, um, so it'll identify their initial diagnosis. Some students have cognitive disabilities. Some students have emotional disabilities. Some people have intellectual disabilities, and some students have multiple disabilities where they may have a traumatic brain injury, and then they may have um, a speech-language impairment. Um, they may have um, a occupation, other health issues. They may have um, be deaf and hard of hearing. Um, so there's so many um, things under the gamut of an IEP, but it's based on that individual student. This is a federal document that each school needs to follow. Each teacher, whether they're in a self-contained classroom or if they're in a mainstream classroom. So some of the mainstream classrooms are the students that have um, specific learning disorders, and they are um, DIWA, developmentally, intellectually, but they can go out into the uh, mainstream classroom where they may have an aide or an assistant in the classroom. The teacher modifies the work or accommodate it based on what's in the individual education plan. I'm sorry? Now, we are going again. Um, uh, Yep, it's another one. Um, do you teach access points? And, of course, if you do or do not, uh, what are access points? Because all of these are things that I don't re- recall ever hearing when my son was in school, of course, but I do know that uh, our listeners need to understand what these things are because I, I think that there are some students who may need these types of programs that are not getting them. Now, um a second part that I'm adding for me is that I believe they're called, what are they, Title Four or Title Seven schools? I can't remember what they are. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with those. They're Title Something schools where they focus mm-hmm. on children yeah. with IEPs, I think, or something like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, And then we have someone, we have a caller on the line, too. So um, 2968, 2968, I will bring you on as soon as Dion answers these two questions. I promise you I will click the button and bring you on air. 2968, hang tight. We're coming right to you. So go ahead. So as far as access points, that could be something specific to your district. Again, each district is different. Each state is different. Right now I'm teaching in Pennsylvania. We don't, we, we don't have anything called access points. Now we do have curriculums like 
Step Up to Writing. We have ARC, which is American Reading. Um, we do have like System 44. We do have uh, all those other things in place to help those kids supplement to, you know, to learning and things like that. Now, as far as the Title IV schools, I have been an aide there. I have been an aide in the school where the students have been so behaviorally challenged that they had um, a TSS. So there's a lot of acronyms in education. A TSS is a therapeutic um, support service person, so they help them with their behavior. They've had so many behaviors where they had three TSS support people, um, where they, like, severely bang their heads, throw chairs. Um, these are some students that are on the spectrum, autism spectrum. So this would be your severe autism spectrum. Um, so I've, I've worked in the autistic support class, and I've also worked in the life skills class. In the life skills class, these are students who, um, they're very low functioning, um, like can't identify their letters, can't spell their name. Some of them maybe um, need some help with um, some uh, toileting and things of that nature, even assistance with feeding and things of that nature. Some of them in the life skills right. class have a nurse that travel with them 100%. So you okay, said a so on this, the line? yeah, we have a caller coming on the line. I told you all that she was passionate about what what you know. This is what I love when it, I can feel the passion of someone. That's what gives me life and keeps me focused and gives me other ways to um, think about getting involved and how we can we can all help in some way with this bigger picture. So with that said, um, then we're going to go back over to the show chat room because we have some more. Well, let me do the comments first, and then I'll bring on our caller. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Well, she well she does. I actually know the answer to that. She just talk. She just talks fast. Yes, she does. Um, <laughs> when you have that I type of passion, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to try to help her to slow down some um, so that she can catch her breath. Um, let's see, expectations specifically for students with cognitive disabilities. Um, it applies to students in the same grade but at a reduced level or reduced level of complexity. So I'm believing that this is probably, well, this is a teacher talking to a teacher. Sounds like an educator. So, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Definitely. So, so two nine six eight. Let me see two nine six hello. eight. Hello, hello. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Good hey. evening. Good evening. Good evening. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. I like to get into conversation. You know, I'm excited too, like you. I mean, I have a zeal, <laughs> and that zeal is a salt that adds flavor to what you're saying so when people listen they're eating and you're like oh goody and they're like i'm so thirsty and you're thinking oh no worries we got we got some refreshments here too all right hello i was thinking, uh, yeah hello can you hear me testing yes 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 mm-hmm. oh yeah so i was <laughs> waiting for you to tell us more <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me more, tell me more. Okay, here we go, here we go. So anyway, so I was thinking when you were talking and you, and it was I was just like drifting off on some uh, on something because, you know, when I listen to what people say, right? 
and I, I start getting all these things coming to me, and I'm just like drifting away on this, and I was thinking about this song, and you probably know it. It goes like this. It goes, think of your fellow man, lend him a helping hand, mm-hmm. put a little love put in your heart, right? In your heart, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, th- I was thinking about that, and I was saying, think of your fellow man. Now I was thinking, well, 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 hold on a second. Think of your fellow man? Yes, think of your fellow man. You know what that means, right? I go, of course I do. Let me explain. It means when you think about somebody outside of yourself, you have their best interest in your thought process. So when you're thinking okay. of your fellow man, you have, their, you have this people outside of yourself. You have uh, their, their welfare and your thought process, their best interest. And then Absolutely. you lend him a help. And then you lend him a helping hand. And then, so when you lend somebody a helping hand, you're putting a little love in your heart because you're making a deposit of love into someone else's heart. And this does a lot, a lot of good things. So, right. Absolutely. I was, thinking, I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking about the song, and then I started thinking about other stuff, and because you were continuing to go on about other things, and I was like, oh. Now we're talking about feelings and how important feelings are in a relationship. And I'm thinking, wow. And then you guys said, well, you want to come on? And I'm thinking, yeah, I want to come on. So I want to talk about feelings for a minute because you know how important feelings are in a relationship, right? Absolutely. I mean, come on, man. I mean, people are kidding themselves, literally just kidding themselves because you can't. Okay. Well, let me put it this way. Um, there's too many people relying on their feelings entirely, way too much. And I'm trying to figure out why they're doing it, right? Because, well, the reason why they're doing it is because I understand, because I did the same thing too much. So what happened for me was is that I started to take a look at my feelings because my feelings is not exactly who I am. I'm underneath my feelings. And when my feelings get powerful, that's the time for me to go take a look at my feelings because they're telling me something's wrong. Now, I was a dummy before, well, but not anymore. So when when you were listening to Dion speak, uh, first of all, do you have young children um, that are in the system right now? What, what system? Or are you a teacher? The educational just, system, uh, school system. Well, no, I don't. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't discriminate against anybody. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're a kid, you know, yeah, of course I can. When I talk to the kids, you, they, they tell me you're, you're like, you're like the, uh, the old wise, the wise man, and, and the storybooks that we read, you know. And I'm like, Shh, don't tell nobody. But yeah, I mean, I can understand a lot of things. Yeah. So we, when we were. Let me let me put this out there then, because right now, and then we're going to go back to. I think we're caught up with the with the comments in the chat room, and then we're going to turn it back over to Dion. Um, I think that well, with everything that's well, going on right now in the world, um, we have to focus on the young children because I think on the news just the other day, and this is for everyone. They said that, you know, after this is all said and done, a lot of children mm. will have been out of school for six months, for up to six, six months. months, which is like 
mm-hmm. six months. Yeah. So these kids, um, you know, they came into the pandemic with some children not having adequate internet or or supplies yes. or whatever they needed yes. to be able to learn from home. And now add to it that these kids have been home for about six months. Well, will have been home for six months. Add another problem, and Dion, I hope you can speak on this, is the fact that let's talk about the elephant. The other elephant in this room is the fact that so many parents now, and some have become downright abusive because they have no clue about how to help their their children because it's amazing that so many parents are so out of touch with the education that their children are now receiving. That's what I was going to get to. I was going to get to this. I should have just went straight for it anyway. Is it okay if I just get on that real quick? Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll turn it back over to Dion. Go ahead. Yeah. I know we we got, we only got a little time and everything. There's a lot to talk about, but, um, you know, when we're talking about people and taking responsibility for their actions, right? Well, this goes all, this whole thing comes back to, you know, behavior. And a lot of this, behavior is built around feelings is which what I was talking about earlier. I think what people rely on their feelings entirely too much, they make mistakes and it's inevitable we're all going to make mistakes. But at the moment of realization that we made a mistake or that we're about to make a mistake, we have opportunities. And so we got to get people to where the opportunities are because the opportunities already exist. And when you have a moment of realization, that's an opportunity. And for the person to do the right thing. Now we're talking about, feelings being a state where people are at. And so we want to help people to take responsibility for their feelings. And in doing that, that will be taken response. They'll be having, they'll be, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll affect their behavior, which is their actions. And then in that process of doing that, they'll get to experience the benefits because of what love does in somebody and through somebody. And then back to them, like the song says, Put a little love in your heart. Oh, hey. And I think that you, you, you're right. You have to have that passion. But um, go ahead, Dion. Well, just to piggyback on what he said and just how this thing is and, and on love, when I was out voting on Tuesday, um, an elderly white woman, she was there at the polling place, and she said to myself and my husband, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a teacher, and I told her what school that I taught her. She said, that's my alma mater. I said, great. She said, well, who's the principal there? So I told her the principal's name, and she's like, I used to teach him. And so, you know, I I know the principal. I had him in my phone. I called him, and the last her last departing words was, all you got to do is just love the kids. Just love them. They need love. They need love. So I agree with him on that point about love. Um. I did want to, before I go into the equity, and I, I want to address you both the parents and all, I wanted to talk to, um, comment on the teacher and the comment that talked about, you know, teaching the child based on, you know, their ability. It's one of my passions that I have because I have a mixed group in my class. I teach sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and every year they put me with whichever um, so I had the majority of sixth graders this year, so I was with the sixth grade curriculum. And see, that's another uh, disparity in the um, education. So I have eighth graders, 
Some of some of the kids in mm-hmm. my class are on on um they're on grade level. Some of them are not. I have seventh graders that read on the second grade level. I have sixth graders that read on the fourth grade level. I have sixth graders that read on the sixth grade level. I have seventh graders that read on the seventh grade level. Eighth graders who read on the eighth grade level, but they're all in my class and I'm to educate them. So how is that for inequity? And then they tell me, this year you need to teach from the sixth grade curriculum. So anyway, but these kids also – these kids also have an opportunity to be mainstreamed out, and I push them out as soon as I can. I usually do a survey at the end of the year to, with the kids to figure out what subjects they're most comfortable with. And at the beginning of the year when we're doing scheduling, I talk to my immediate supervisor who's in charge of the special education department and say, this kid needs to be pushed out into math. This one needs to be pushed out, you know. And then as they go further, if they're successful, we'll push them out in more classes. If not, because they can't handle that emotional piece, they'll have to come back into the emotional support class. And when they come back, we might not be on what they were in the genetic classes because the genetic classes patient out is different. So that's another thing with curriculum that I have. Uh, you talked about access. Um, I shared with this the last Saturday that our school, we just got iPads for everyone um, in high school and middle school this year. When this pandemic came, play, came to play, they were trying to educate our elementary school with packets, and they realized that the packets was not going to be sufficient, you know, with social distancing and all that, and they deployed the iPads to our grade school students, elementary school students. Now, they had iPads in the classroom, but they had to share them. How is that for inequity? If you come into some suburban school kids, they, I have friends that teach at our school who have students that are in suburbia, they have iPads, and not only do they have them, they take them home. Our kids can't take their iPads home. They have to stay in our classrooms in a locked closet. Um, so that's another um, equity, um, inequity in education. And I wanted to talk about the parents. The pa- um, I know from my parents, I have very, very good parental involvement because I believe, again, it takes a village to raise the child. And the frustration level, and I shared with um, Dr. Wall and the other people that were on last Saturday, my first Zoom meeting, I had my students there. I had 100% attendance in the Zoom meeting initially. It dwindled off as the school year progressed because the parents and the students are not used to learning this way. My one, one of my students' parents yelled at him the entire Zoom meeting, and I had to tell her, that this was inappropriate. I kept muting her mic, so parents are frustrated as well. Somebody else may have a question. So, again, that child's already having these feelings of inadequacy, learning online, doing distance learning, and then the parent embarrassed him in front of the other parent. And not only that, other parents contacted me and reached out afterwards to ask me to address it. So, yeah, the parents are frustrated. Um, Parents don't know, so there's a system that we use, and for the educators that are on here, we use Schoology for middle school. Elementary, they use Seesaw, so these are learning platforms, computer, where we can upload things in there. We use Nearpods and everything, and because so many people was trying to access this, scavenging around, trying to figure out how we're going to do this, Schoology was crashed for the first <laughs> month or so, so even even in being out 
Dr. Wall, for the first month or so, the program was crashed. didn't have enough bandwidth for everybody who was using it. So, again, we have kids here waiting to be educated, and they could not have, get access for that. Um, I, I, I volunteered a couple of days out of the month to go and pass out lunches because, again, we're Title I, 100% of our students, they receive free or reduced lunch. Well, in my school, they receive free lunch. So I had teachers contacting me, and I live seven minutes from the school, and my administrators were contacting me, coming saying, Golden, can you come to the school and help this kid learn how to get on their iPad? Now, these are students who had their iPad all year long. So what we don't um, take into consideration is we, in my school, we have a refugee population. We have kids from Somalia, the Congo, Nepal. We have kids coming from Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. We have kids from Egypt in our class. We actually had a kid who just came back from Egypt. They went to go visit, and his mother was jailed and held because they could not prove that they had citizenship here in the United States. And we fought and wrote letters for him. So there's so many things in education that is not on the forefront. Again, servicing curriculum. The curriculum is not... um, so I was doing a um, so I was doing a training. So we have all these training schools out. We have these trainings, and we were doing these trainings on um, climate and culture of schools, and talking about the curriculum. And they talked about how all kids don't want to talk about medieval times. So some are not able to delve within ourselves and teach the curriculum, but have supplements with it. Because I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I could care less about Romeo and Juliet. But if I had a teacher that could make it um, more relevant to my now, and we write these curriculums and we write these standards and talk about real-world experiences, but when we're in the classroom teaching, we really don't give them real-world experiences. And this is one of the main things that I advocate with my students a lot. Um, that, And I, I've actually told my students as well, when you go into your mainstream classes, you make sure you tell your teacher that you have an IEP that tells you you need extended time. So I have empowered them to do that. Um, a lot of teachers that are in mainstream don't know how to modify their assignments, don't know how to put the student um, accommodations in place. And this is, I'm only talking from uh, a, a special education mindset, but even kids who are not identified, they need those modifications. Our kids need a modification. Case in point, I had a student, so we have these classroom diagnostic tests, um, CDTs. Um, they, do some, they have it in math. They have it in reading. They have it in science. One kid came to me after the classroom diagnostic test and said, Mrs. Golden, what's a patio? I'm like, what do you mean, what's a patio? You know, you find a patio, it's um, usually an apartment. It's just a cement piece of, you know, um, concrete there and you may put a, a chair or a table or something there and this says I would never know what a patio is because I don't even know I've never been in an apartment before I don't know so it's like the little things in the curriculum that we take for granted again without privilege because privilege is the have privilege is the people that have the exposure so think about our kids who don't have the exposure to curriculum also, services. So uh, this IEP, Individual Education Plan, that I talked to you about, 
um, we write all these services in there. So when we get into students that need augmentative communication things, so these are a lot of your students with autism and things like that, that costs money. The word augmentative sounds expensive. So when they need these things, sometimes they don't get these things because, again, we know that our districts are already working in a deficit as far as money because our administrators, and don't get me wrong, everybody has, they make in hundred thousands of dollars and all those things and then we, we're not working with what we need in the classroom and things of that nature. Um, you know, so when the teachers send home those lists to say, Can you bring some tissue to school? And I hear a lot of I hear a lot of people saying it's like in Walmart going back to school, why should I have to send glue? Why should I have to send this? Because if you don't send it, we're purchasing it out of our pocket. Um but anyone who knows me as a teacher, I, I teach boys, and again, equity again in the lunches. So they have this pre-prepared lunch. You guys know what a little, um, uh, what is it called? Like a Marie Collender's dinner. Um, and uh-huh. those of you who have kids, those of you who have kids, and in this season, you know, kids can eat. Okay, especially if you have boys. I have all boys in my class. They can eat. So you have a three hundred pound football player in eighth grade and you have a 120 pound child in sixth grade and they get the same lunch is that equity so it um inequities in education they have a broad range a broad range and they like the people who serve them in those lunch lines they really i mean they guard that stuff like they bought it themselves so yes i have in my classroom a class store so my students, we have behavior charts. I write behavior plans, positive support behavior plans for my students. And, yes, I have food in my classroom. I have noodles. I have these things. I give out, um, we have what I call Fun Fridays. And on Fun Fridays, I may bring in a breakfast meal, and everybody learns how to cook. Everybody learns how to do measurements. I include, you know, math, reading, and all that in there, but it's also my way to give them another meal. You know, um, I put money in my budget where if everybody meets their behavior goals, which they normally do in my classroom, thank God, we go to the local restaurant and I model how to, I model, you know, we have a pizza and we go through the fractions and, you know, all those things or whatever the case may be. Um, But the inequities in education are vast. I mean, really vast. And let me tell you something. A student does not want to know that two plus two is four if they don't feel good. I have students who right. come in who have not been able to wash their clothes. I We have washers and dryers. I, I, I tell the kids, bring your clothes to school. I will wash them and dry them because their parents don't have the money to do it. I have a hygiene kit in my class for every student in my classroom. The school didn't pay for that. My husband and I paid for that out of our budget. Toothbrush, toothpaste, washcloth, wipes, um, everything that they need because I want them to be successful in my classroom. And when I have people come to my class and say, this doesn't look like an emotional support class, well, that's a sad state of affairs because what is an emotional support support class supposed to look like? I mean, right. historically, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> historically, I've been in the school and I've seen the emotional support class that running through the halls and all that. We don't have that. I'm not saying that we have isolated incidents of that because some of the kids can't handle even being in my school and they, my classroom, and they have to go to one of the self-contained where they have padded rooms 
staff do takedowns and all that. I, I don't want to have to do that. I'm going to fight for my kids for as long as I can. And when I have assistants coming in my classroom, and, and for those who ask, I do have a parent in my classroom, but it was a whole year that I didn't have a parent. So I was basically doing it on my own with another lady coming in helping. Um, and, and that was pulling her from a job for students who was being mainstreamed in a general education classes, so they weren't getting what they needed. They had IEPs as well, but their IEPs addressed another need. So when we talk about educational inequities, so even though my students was getting a little more by having her there, the other kids who she was hired to work with weren't getting what they needed. So how's that for um, inequity in education? Um, like, there's so much stuff. Now, I, I do want to highlight some good things that's going on in my district and in my school. Um, I shared last uh, Saturday, I am a part of the equity team. So the equity team is we have someone coming from every school, every elementary school, every middle school, every department. I'm talking about food service, environmental services, um, those that work in the um, HR department. So we have these national equity specialists that come, and, and I appreciate them because the equity specialists, and y'all, I'm a pastor's wife, but I believe in all people. One of the people who are there, um, Ricky, he is a gay white man. So he brings the gay experience because I have gay students in my classroom. I have students who have come out to me, and I've shared this with my um, husband, and I went to the guidance counselor. The young girl who came out to me, I was teaching her aunt who was in eighth grade, and she's in sixth grade. So, like, these things are, they are real. Um, the other one is, like, a Hispanic woman. They have white people. So the panel is very diverse. And in this equity training that we have, so we go as a core group and get trained, and I come back and I train the people in my building. So this whole year that we rolled out this program, theme was tone and trust, and it was working on the mindsets of the educators. Not necessarily the educators, because we all are educators. So mm -hmm. when I say training everyone, we trained our support staff. We trained our office staff. We trained our maintenance engineers. Everyone was there, because as a community, we all have to be on the same page. And it was just amazing to see all of the biases there. So right. they were shocked when I said, oh, I, I go to church with my students. They were shocked when they said, oh, I go to my students' after-school programs. That's not in the building because we have after-school programs in the building. But I always say, well, I don't post as much on Facebook, but I always say teaching is more than books. So, yes, I, and, and, and sometimes I'm led to call a parent on a weekend just to talk to them because that's how we build, you know, our students up. Through, through the community right. at large or whatever. And um, so just trying to change some of that, that um, those biases or, um, you know, that we have uh, as people. And we all have them. I have them. So and just to spread light on you guys, I, I work in the inner city. The majority of the kids in our school are, um, they're Dominican, Spanish descent, Puerto Rican. Or we do have a, a refugee population. So we have people of all different colors, all different faiths. We have Muslims. We have agnostics. We have um, people that are atheists in our school, Christians in our school, even amongst our staff in our school. But somehow we manage to work through all of that stuff um, as far as a community. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. 
pulled off the hijab of one of my Muslim students. So we have this thing in our school called restorative practices, sort of like what we're doing here. We're trying to get globally and nationally. And those who teach you probably know about restorative practice. It's where you build, you have a circle in your classroom. So like when you have an elephant in the room. So if we, like things of race, all that stuff comes up in my classroom. I'm not afraid to talk about it. I teach African-American boys. I told the story of, I had two of my boys, they were doing something out. And when they went out to another class, now they do go out to their um, art, music, and physical education. So they're not in my class all the time. But some of them are in my class for all the other subjects. And they did something. And they were out there and had their hands in their pocket. First, they put their hands up. And I told them, don't put your hands up. And we were downstairs by the office. I said, don't put your hands up. I said, put your hands down. They put their hands. I said, take your hands out of your pocket. And I said, just talk to me, explain to me. And so when they left, uh, my guidance counselor says to me, well, why did you do that to them? I said, because they're black boys. I said, and they need to get in the habit of not putting their hands up and putting their hands in their pocket. And if they can model the posture towards me when they get pulled over by the police, they might just remember that. You know, those kind of things. Um, I know I have a lot to say. Do we have any questions, comments? Anybody chiming in? Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they're talking in the chat room pretty much among themselves, and then someone is answering some of the questions. Uh, let's okay. see. <clears throat> let's see. Let me go back up here and see where we left off. Um, 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 someone came back and said, what did I miss? They talked about the caller that had love. Well, what they – um, what do they assume an emotion? Oh, yeah, we're back to that. Someone asked, well, what do okay. they assume that an emotional um, support classroom looks like? I'm going to read a few. Um, someone said, how many kids does she have in her class? How many assistants does she have? And then, of course, one of the listeners responded. I think she said 10 or 12 with a capacity, of, with a mm-hmm. capacity of 15. 15. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, they're listening. That, uh, they're so, listening. <laughs> so, so an emotional support class, again, are students who have the diagnosis of emotional disturbance. And the only way that I could put that clear, uh, so historically some of my students have turned over chairs and tables, cussed out teachers. Um, they need a break, um, thrown things, fought people, fight, hit, uh, scream, all that other stuff like some of the worst things you see portrayed on TV, that's what an emotional support class typically looks like. Right. However, dot com, not go to class, because I have a classroom monitor, and I do a lot of the work on the back end. So we have these classroom mantras, and I have to say it and repeat it over again. We have the social emotional learning there also. So my classroom mantra is, you're more than your label. So they labeled you this, and so the good thing about it is my students, they can look up all of their infractions every time they have been sent to ISS, which is in-school suspension, OSS, which is out-of-school suspension. There is a um, thing on their iPad where they can pull it up. It's called Student View, and they can see all of their stuff. And I told them one morning, we have like, it's not necessarily a morning meeting like elementary, but it's a check-in because they come with so much stuff. I said, I want everybody to get their iPads. I want you to look into your student view, and I want you to look up what you were suspended for, and I want you to look at the language. 
And I and I came to this epiphany when I was writing. So, Kayla, I don't do a lot of write-ups. You have to do something grossly negligent in my class to be written up because I believe it worked in that restorative practice model. Um, so when they looked it up, it had offender, perpetrator, victim. So, indeed, this is what is in our school system. So you, I know that you guys have heard the pipeline from um, school to prison, and I had to make them aware that, where you are now does not have to determine where you want to be. I said, but all these infractions that you have, and they can see it throughout their entire, like from elementary, everything. So the more infractions you have, the bigger, you, like a rap sheet. That's basically what it was. And I told them I compared it to a rap sheet. And um, I mm-hmm. said, so you get to change that narrative. You get to change the narrative. So I have this classroom mantra that you're more than your labels. And we also have it where you do the right thing because the right thing is the right thing to do. And I can't take credit for that one because my husband preached that, do the right thing because the right thing is the right thing to do. And and those things right. stick. Sometimes it can become tedious, but it sticks because if they're out in a mainstream class, the reports that I get back from the teachers, uh, do you need me to call them? No, I'm going to do the right thing because the right thing is the right thing to do. Um, I'm not afraid to yeah. interrupt the content to address what needs to be addressed because a lot some of the things that we do in our classrooms is if we allow those things to continue to be it becomes a norm that's not a norm in my classroom we respect one another in the classroom you know we we come to school we and, and here's the deal i want you guys to also know that i allow breaks I write breaks into my kids' IEP, individual education plan. They have break class passes. In my classroom, I also have a punching bag with um, boxing gloves and everything because I'd rather that it's off in the back, but I'd rather them hit the punching bag than hit each other. Um, so all those things in place to help them to be successful. And we have to look at things like um, income, um, things that are not conventional, you know, unconventional means or whatever. How many of you know who would think of putting a punching bag in their classroom? They were going to throw that away. That was taxpayers' dollars. When we did the renovation, they were going to throw it away. I said, please don't throw that away. I asked the um, maintenance staff, could you please bring that to my classroom? Because it's one of the ones that you have in your gym, the heavy ones with the sand and the water and the weight at the bottom, you know, and everything. And I said, this will be a good tool. And let me tell you, sometimes I have to demonstrate that. I have to be transparent with them. I can't just preach to them you need to do this. Even when I do wrong as a teacher, I, I have to have that restorative piece. I was wrong. I um I, I accused you if I did that or I shouldn't have used that tone with you, all those things. So we have all of those things. And here's the inequality in that they don't get that in other classrooms. So this is good on one hand, but on the other hand, it's kind of different because I have a walkie, and when it's time for me to do my planning period and everything, as soon as they leave my classroom and go to another classroom because of the inequity, even in their treatment, I'm getting called. Oh, then please come to this class or calling my assistant. The story behind my assistant, I told right. you guys I didn't have an assistant for a year. Okay, go ahead. Yep, well, here we Did go. We got a lot of comments for you. Yes, we have a lot of comments coming up here. So take a breather. Let's go. Ready? I commend her for taking the time. I commend her for taking the time to provide the resources and assistance that she does. 
I had a white colleague ask me if it's a choice for black people in poverty to not overcome their circumstances. I told him that that a lot of resources are not available for some people to make changes that seem so easy for others. Of course, we have choices, but most people base their choices on what they see around them and what is available to them. Next comment, they don't make some of the choices others may think they should because they honestly don't have access. I love that you give them the support and opportunities that you do because children spend so much time in school. Educators play as big a role as parents when it comes to building the foundation for children. I actually think in some cases educators take a, have a much bigger role, much to be more. honest, because a lot much of parents are um, working, you know, two, three jobs are still thinking that they're back in their heydays and they still want to be and young. So not only um, that, Dr. Walls, when I'm educating parents who have disabilities themselves, who don't understand where their kids, so it's, it's so many variables. I agree with you with that, but I deal with some students who parents have mental health issues, like real straight up. I had a parent-teacher conference with the parent and the mother. The mother was in emotional support, and it was like I was seeing her again. Her daughter was there, and her father came, and her father said, right. it's golden. I had an IEP. I'm bipolar schizophrenic, too. So this, these are two people who procreated, and now I have their children in my class. Okay? So keep going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most teachers have a drawer <laughs> or closet for kids. It contains personal hygiene products, undershirts, jackets, sweaters, hair ties, combs, brushes, snacks, etc. It's like you're taking care of your other 137 kids. And I'm sorry, you know, can, that's... I, can I talk about that? Most teachers, I don't know what school district you teach in, but in my school, I am one of two blacks with the, um, the exception of some support staff and the administrator. And most teachers don't have that because the kids are coming to my room. So I, I don't know, like, it's not, it's not the same in all districts. But go ahead, uh, Dr. Wall. Yeah, it, it it is not the same in all districts. Um, and, and I'm coming to that question from me personally. Um, what else do we have over here? That is true as well. The mental and physical health of the parents is something people don't take into account. And I forgot my question. So we're going to keep moving until I remember it again. (laughs) But, you know, I'm listening to you talk, and I feel that passion and all of this. And me being someone who, you know, my profession, of course, is law. um, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking into that realm where you can rise these children right there where they can actually see the mountaintop. And then they move to the next level or grade or a different school, and they dropped all the way back down to the valley. Dr. Wall, can I, can I break it down some more? Because I believe in breaking down the whole into parts. They could be in my classroom that's seventh grade on a second grade level, and I'm affirming them in their education. And they can leave my classroom in that 50-minute block and go into another classroom, generated and the teacher could care less about them, and they come back to me broken because this is my reality. that's what I'm getting at. 
And what happens yes. is they come back broken, but they come back where they have did a behavior. This is what I'm talking about, the diagnosis of emotional support. These kids are not emotional support students. We don't know how to teach them. Because if you could be in my class all day long and produce, and I, I, was, I, I know I'm going on tangents, but I've had assistants come in my classroom and say, they don't even do this much work in a general education class. And I shared with you guys last week, they want to make my classroom a model classroom. But I, I talk to my students because this is their classroom and they're not guinea pigs. What, what they need to do is come talk to me as a teacher to see, you know, like, what do you do? What are some strategies? What is this to start that first? Because I don't want to have them just to always have people in the classroom looking at them. They deserve the right to be in the classroom, you know, and be free to learn without all these eyes on them. Now, sometimes if a kid is getting a psychological eval or if they're getting a functional behavioral assessment, the behavior people may come and look at them and things like that. I mean, that's a given. But if you just want to come to just look and to gander at them and poke at them, no, I'm not going to, I have to, I have to protect them, you know, even in the classroom as they're educated. And I'm sort of like a mama bear to um, protect them that way as well. And I wanted to get back right. to the point where I talked about my aid. So I didn't have an aid. And I told my administrator that I did not want an aid that was other than an African-American male. And I prayed about that thing, and God told me to ask for it. And I asked for it, and that's who I have in my classroom, an African-American male. He worked there part-time through the agency, and I said, call him. He's 23 years old. He's, he has a fresh mindset because I had an older African-American male there in his 60s, and he just wanted to whip him and beat him, that mentality, but that's not what our kids need Oh, no. Today. You know, um, it was it was bad. I had a lot of behaviors during that time and fighting in my family where I didn't have those kind of things, but I knew what that was from. And um, he was there, and I shared this story. One of our students, not in my specific class, but in the building, he was a runaway, and they couldn't find him. And actually, he was on probation. And he came to school one day, and the SRO, which is the school resource officer, again, we have a lot of acronyms, had to take him out in handcuffs. And my aide saw mm -hmm. that he was downstairs and he cried. And he came upstairs and he was crying in the classroom. And so the boys in my class says, Mr. Davis, why are you crying? And I told him, I said, you need to take this moment and have a circle. And I left out of the room. Because, see, they get enough mothering, you know, they, they get mothering at home. They get a lot of the mothering at home. They get mothering at school because it's more of, uh, Females there, the males, and you know education, but that was paramount. And whatever happened in that room was between them. And this is when he first came to the class. He was just coming in, starting his duties there. And I tell you, it was very transformative in their relationship. And I thank God that I had enough sense to back out because they need that male energy there. You know, whatever they discuss, I don't know to this day. I don't care to know to this day, but I know that it was transformative in their particular relationship. In the morning, you can see them, and I strategically place times in the schedule where they can be with him alone. He takes them to breakfast in the morning, and I stay in the classroom. 
Like some kids eat breakfast at home, but I stay in the classroom so he can have that time with him and that male energy can transfer one to another. Um, if they need breaks, he's the one to take them out on breaks and things like that because it's, I don't have words to put with it, but you guys that know who have sons that how they connect with men and their fathers and things like that, positive male energy, it's just amazing. And I thank God that I had that opportunity too. Um, uh, Dr. Wall, I wanted to right. talk about the disparities. We talked about that. Um, so in the, in the, our mental health, I'm talking about the parents and the children. Some of them are underdiagnosed, mixed diagnosed, or no diagnosis at all. I have children who come mm-hmm. to my classrooms that are in regular general education class, and they say, how can I get an application to be in your classroom? I wish every teacher in my building had uh, students that would come and say, can they get an application to be in that class? So it's something there. And I, when I say that, it's not just children of color. I have a student, I have a student right now um, who is, she was in the system. Her mom was addicted to um, uh, uh, meth and everything. And this student would come to my class every day, a white girl. And all, she, she would come every day, and all she would do is sit. And I would say, such and such, I got you. I'm here. And some days she would come in, and she would just lay in my arms, and I would just hug her. I would be teaching, and I would just continue to hug her, teaching and just continue to hug her and go on. She is now with, um, who was a building coach in our um, school, who's now a principal at another school in the district. She's now with her as a foster mom. And she reached out to me on Facebook, the foster mom, and said, I did not know you had this relationship with such and such. I said, yes. This little girl asked me to help her the night before she was going to court because she didn't trust her lawyer. She was going to. She knew that she was going to leave her mother's home, and she knew that she was going before the judge. And she said, "Mrs. Golden, can you go over speech with me?" So to have that effect. Now this is the disparity in services because we have a guidance counselor there. Those are guidance counselor issues. So again, those disparities. Um, just, I mean, we have uh, we we know about the wealth gap. You know, the, um, the wealth gap, we know about the educational gap, we know about all that. And another thing that's popping up in our schools also is the LGBTQ plus um, issue as well. We have bathrooms now that are um, non-gender bathrooms that have keypads on there for those students. We have them. I have witnessed uh, same-sex females in the hallway kissing and had to break it up. So for us to turn our eye away from that, we're ridiculous. We're not going to be effective educators. Um, We have some students who are transitioning from male to um, female, whose hair has changed, body type has changed, and all that other stuff. And if I can't get over my, my biases of race, now, let's not put these other biases of gender, gender nonconformance, this, and all that stuff. We had training on all this stuff. If I can't get past the black and white issue, how in the world am I going to deal with a black male child that's transitioning to be a, 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 a female? So these are mm-hmm. real pressing issues that we have in our schools today. Any more questions or comments? I, I know I'm Oh, talking. yeah, we do. 
Oh yeah, it's um that is amazing. That is amazing, especially considering the fact that many don't have that positive male role model in their lives, and that's exactly right. And then we have another comment. Um, Hadassah writes, "I'm sorry, but." In my district, hugging is a no-no. Too many issues going on, and the students are not being too honest these days. And again, it comes down to, I think that that's what I was leading to earlier, is that I know for a fact you have a teacher that's probably Florida and um, Hadassah. Mm -hmm. I don't know where your district is, but um, when you're dealing with, and and that's a question in itself when you're dealing with um special needs children some children um and I don't know how that works throughout the the systems in every state but um risky for us oh Hadassah's in New Jersey so again okay. we're getting different sides of the coin here um and how the school systems are treating or or tying down or handcuffing the, the, the educators where some ch- some children need that. Um, yes. It's called the ministry They need that touch. <laughs> yes. Because they don't have it at yes. home. And they don't need get that. me wrong, I, what's her name, Hadassah? The, the, um, I'm not sure of the name. But it is yes. that we have, I, I have some students, I have some students in my class that I know who don't like to be touched, but that comes with the relationship. And what I'm saying is it's about relationship. So the, all the why, the why is your class able to do this? Why are you able to do this? Because of relationships. And I'm going to take another thing from my um, husband's preaching that I have brought to my classroom, and I've actually given it to my administrators, and I do it in my training. Anything you have with the kids or people it has to be real, it has to be relevant, it has to be relational, and then that experience becomes rich. Because, again, I know that um, some teachers are afraid to hug and do all that other stuff, but what do I do when I, when I was a parent in the elementary school and a little girl came up behind the jelly bean table and jumped in my lap and said, Mommy's a drunk, she doesn't like, do I push her away? Like, what, what impression am I giving her, you know, during that time? And, and I didn't know what she was going to do. Again, I work in those classes where those kids have impulse control and all those other things. You know, they don't have impulse control and things like that. And a lot of kids in gen ed doesn't have impulse control. We're going to be real about it. So I get it, and I get what you mean and what you're saying, and um, I get it from my side, too. I guess I'm just that educator that's going to take that risk. And I'm not hugging Here's some more comments. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Some more comments are coming in. No hugging, maybe a fist pump or air hugs. And that comes from, um, I believe, an educator in Florida. And Hadassah goes on to say, I use mindful meditation to assist my students in in setting down and letting go of anxieties. So is that something that you use? Yes, every Wednesday, every second Wednesday of the month, we have a, a trained licensed person that come in and does, and we do it also in my classroom as well. There's a lot of good. I have the Calm app on my um, iPad, and I plug it up to the Apple TV. We do all that. Um, 
she gave me those bells and strings and all that, but I, that's just not my thing. I'd rather just play the video or play something on YouTube or whatever. But they do get that mindfulness there also. And we have those times where I just shut everything down. And that's that's the beauty of my classroom where I'm not cons- – I, I do want them to get the academic, but it's emotional support, and they have to get – you know, that, that social skill, that social piece, they have to be able to regulate those emotions, self-regulate. A lot of the kids that I work with, they don't know how to self-regulate. It's like zero to 100. And I agree with fist pumps. Yeah. I do fist pumps with certain kids and everything, but, you know, yeah. to each his own. Yeah. Yeah. I use the mindfulness. Okay, fist pumps and air and air hugs work. Uh, TJ says, when dealing with children with trauma and behavioral issues, the hugging may be a means of positive reinforcement. So again, absolutely. I, I would, I would. Oh, and they require a different level of care than other students. So I can understand mm-hmm. the hugging as long as the children are comfortable with it. Um, and again, um, Dr. So Wall, what are I the emotional support? I don't. This right. is like a mother who has seven kids. A mother who has seven kids know what her kids need. And as a teacher, I have built those relationships, and I know what my kids ah. need. I have a student who he does not hug anyone. He does not want you to come to him. So you say, "Hey, such and such, how you feeling this morning?" He doesn't want you to be in his personal space. He takes his chair and he goes to the back of the classroom. I would be a fool right. to try to make him integrate, you know, unless we're doing like a collaborative lesson and things like that. And he understands it. So I I pulled him to the side without anyone and says, you know what, it's okay that you sit back here, but when we have a collaborative lesson, we have to do this, you have to come here. And he understands that. So again, that comes with building those relationships. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And another question for you. So what are the strategies you intend to use in in the case of social distancing in the near future? So um, a lot of my students that I have, so we've had social distancing for a while. They're talking about coming back to school, and they're talking about that the kids will stay in the same classroom, the desks are going to be a certain uh, feet apart, and the teachers will go around now, I don't know how that model looks for my class because, again, my students stay in my class with the exception of going to lunch, assemblies, um, music, art, and physical education. So I don't know what that looks like. Um, however, again, I told you guys, I have been in contact with students since then. Um, I, I, um, I volunteered to go out to give out lunches because, again, our kids don't have lunches. Last uh, Just two days ago, I was at the school. Kids were returning their iPads. Eighth graders were getting their um, certificates for promotion. And what we did is I used my feet. We used our elbows and things like that. But one kid, my kid that I had since sixth grade who came in, who got uh, suspended the last day of school, he could not walk for his fifth grade. I've had him the first week of him being in my class in sixth grade. I had to roll around on the floor with him and restrain him and everything, who is the eighth grader who was in my class only um, this year for check-in in the morning and check-out in the afternoon. He reached out and hugged me, and doggone it, I hugged him. And his mother was there and everybody was there. Again, it's case-by-case basis. 
Yep, and we're back over here. Uh, Hadassah says teenagers are different these days, and they are. But they are underlying with a lot of t- of, of of these kids. It always, and I found that it comes back to the same thing: that they want someone to show them interest. They want someone Listen. to let them know that they are important. They are important. They need that. Yes. And they don't have Dr. that um, when they leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- let me tell you, it, it could be something as simple and minute of me remembering that their dog's name is Rover. If I now, this is what I do every morning. I stand outside. All of the teachers stand outside of the classroom, but I have these little signs, or I'll say good morning. I don't let them come in and not say good morning. I say, "How's your mom? How's how's Rover? How's it?" If I know that they like Fortnite, I Fortnite. I don't know anything about Fortnite, but I'll get on here to know just enough to be able to talk to them, and then they teach me more. You know, so it doesn't matter. And even if it's like my one student who I just told you that um, graduated, he said, um, promoted, not graduated, he says to me in January, he was upset when he was in his other classes. They sent him back to my class. And I said, such and such, what's wrong? He says, now, Miss Golden, you know I have these anger issues, and I'm just upset with my father. He left us. And he's just giving me my Christmas gift. I didn't say anything. I didn't judge him. I just listened. He gave me a chicken wing, chicken wings, a hand controller, and a knife. Why would he give me a knife, Miss Golden? He knows I'm going to use it, you know. So that was his cry for help. Then I was able to call his mom, talk to his mom, and you know, all that kind of stuff or whatever. But I didn't. I don't judge them like. My kids, they say some of the craziest things, teenagers, and I just listen. I let them get it out, and then I bring them back to that rational state. Yep. I, I It's amazing that what, what you, I mean, everything that you do, you should be one of those teacher of the year, you know, people because – there's so many things that you go so above and beyond that we don't see or I don't even see. And I don't even have any children um, of my own. I'm, my grandchildren, yes, but I'm talking about children who are my young children. There were teachers when my son was in school. There was a teacher who um, saw that I was, I mean, I reached out. I was one of those parents who said, I'm a single parent with a male child, and this teacher, her husband took him under her wings. And my son pretty much grew up to be, you know, he chose to go be whatever he is. But Mm -hmm. it's not Mm -hmm. like he had all of the options and the chances. And I think that people, uh, when we go back to from school to jail or something like that, a lot of people just don't give these children the options. They don't let them know that these are the things that are available to you. The road that these children take after the fact, for me, I can sit back and say, I did all that I could to give him all of the options and all of the chances to learn from his mentors and move along, whereas once they change and do go on their own or they become adults and they have that that time when they're ready to spread their wings and fly, I have no, I'm not the wind. So whatever direction they tend to go in, it's on them. 
but um, we still have some comments coming. What state is she okay. working in? She's in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Um, is um, In New Jersey, we are too congested for this. Dense population. Oh, I let my teenagers know, my students know that they are important to me. I know more about them than many of their parents do. The students yes. tell us things they would never tell their parents. And you know what, yes. Stas, I know you came in late, but we were talking about that because you're like the actual parent, and you're the mm-hmm. parent to however many students you have, 50, 60, 100. You're their parent. Yes, you're that person that that um, can I, they look forward to coming to school because that's where they found their peace. With you? Can I share sure. something with you? When you say you're their parent, let me explain to you something. This is not something that I just do in my classroom. I do this for all students, all students. Everybody in that school knows that they can come to Mrs. Golden. And even my students that are in life skills, these are my students who are nonverbal. I've had some of them when they were in elementary school, and then now they're in middle school. I am, in, I am very intentional in all of my doings in the school. I have certain cycle days where on my planning days, my planning periods, I go down and I visit my life skills students because I know that's a self-contained classroom and they're in there all the time, you know, or whatever. I have times where I volunteer and I um, cover the shift of lunch. But, see, this is stuff that, um, you know, and, like, some of the educators, they look at me, oh, yeah, this little young buck, she's going to burn out or whatever. But that's not that's not my stick because this is what I want to do. I know that they need to see representation. They need to see me, you know, there. They need to see that I care. They need to feel that I care. They need to know that I care. And I'm not I'm, – I'm really not – I'm flattered, but I don't want teacher of the year. I want this to be contagious, and it flows over to other people. I want them to see me and say, oh, I want to teach like that. I want to be able to identify because I always tell my kids all the time, it's about the academics, but it's not about the academics because if I can get you, um, you know, the relationship piece, you'll sit down and you'll do the work. I had boys. um, I don't know if the teachers on here know Esperanza Rising. It's about a Mexican girl whose father was in the Mexican Revolution and they wanted to read it. But it was based on, you know, my relationship with them. Not that they had right. they had something in common with her, the struggles and everything, the plight of the people and all that. But it came down to the relationship, what I did prior to it, what I did in the morning to set the pace. And I tell them all the time, we are all we have. We have to create the climate in this classroom. You have to be um, in touch with your social and emotional intelligence enough to say, I'm not feeling well today. And guess what? I just, I share that with them. When I'm not feeling well today or something didn't go right in my class or, or at home or something like that, I come and I say, God, Miss Golden is not at her best today. I don't feel well today. And basically modeling that before them. Yep. And it's amazing that. When we, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the chat room, and there are multiple teachers here from different states. And mm-hmm. uh, the one thing that 
I always um, think about is the fact that some teachers are afraid. And I'm not talking about being afraid of the students. They're afraid of the administration because the least little things they do to try to help the students, you know, Mm -hmm. they could get fired. They could get, you know, charges. Any old thing can happen now. And the, the fact that, and something that you said stuck out with me as well, is that one of the things that, I I would love to do is sit down with um, um, these young children and say, you know what, you could do whatever you wanted to do. You might not get it done in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s. You know, I didn't become Dr. C until my late 50s. So, Uh again, Uh you can do whatever you want to do. People, you don't need to stop, but they need to see. They need to be able to identify. These young ladies need to know, yeah, I was told I was ugly, I was this, I was that. When I was growing up, I was abused. I had all of that. I didn't have low self-esteem. I had no self-esteem. So when you're Mm -hmm. talking about someone who had to discover who they were and find their faith and find their voice and walk into their, their truth and all of these things, I charge anyone out there, and I'm not talking to these fake doctors that went to the Feel Good Foo Foo University and paid a couple dollars and got their fake degrees. I'm not talking to y'all. I'm not talking to y'all. Because, um, again, that's not how it works. You all took the low road, and you You can always tell the people that um, took the low road because everything they do, I'm doctor this. They probably had it, you know, imprinted on their toilet paper because that's about as good as what it is. You know, it's all (laughs) the same thing in the end. But what I'm saying is this, when I love to tell the story because I know that I'm not the only one that grew up in in an abusive family. I'm not the only one who grew up feeling alone. I'm not the one who grew up knowing that, hearing that, you're ugly, you won't mount to anything, and this and that. I'm like, um, I'm ugly, but I'm doctor, so how you like me now? Hello. So anyway, so, you know, I just tell and people. And, you know, I can echo that same sentiment. Mm-hmm. I, I've grown up hearing that as well. You're fat. Um, big people shouldn't wear ruffles. Or you shouldn't wear your hair up. All these things, these things that were nonsense, where you had a, a uh, influence over me, where you could have been pouring into me, and that's and that's how I that's that's um where I teach from. What I didn't get, I point. I don't have children myself, and what I didn't get, I make sure that I frame my words. I'm very careful with how I frame my words to the kids that I teach. We can't use the word dumb in my class, stupid, retarded, all those words. We don't use those because what I say is, I say, what's your name? And they say their name. I said, nobody's trying to hear name them that, and we're not going to talk that way. We are, we learn different. And I tell them, I'm teaching math, and sometimes in my class, two plus two is six because I'm not a math teacher, but I know enough, you know, to get them through. And I say, look, Miss Golden doesn't even know it all. Miss Golden is learning with it. And when it comes to technology and the iPad and all that, they teach me a whole bunch of things. I know a lot. I'm very well versed. And technology, but they know some more things that I don't know. So, like being able to frame your words to let them know that, you know, hey, just because you have this, or just because you recall this, or you have this label, or you experienced this, 
you don't have to live by that. I lived some of the same things, the traumas that they lived. I grew, I was a child of trauma. I grew up in the inner city. I had trauma. I had emotional and psychological abuse in myself. I had to overcome the negative self-talk. Sometimes things trigger right. it as a 47-year-old woman, you know, and everything. So, again, practicing, like you said, what, what, what we preach and being able to put right. that out there. And yeah, over right. in the show it's chat room, <laughs> it has an over in the show chat room. We're still going at it. Um, All right. That shows them that shows them that it is okay to have bad days. It gives them a sense yeah. of normalcy. Oh, I'm not the only one who has bad days, as opposed to um, think there's something wrong with them because they have bad days. And um Um, she, she says Mrs. Golden can make TikToks. I saw them. Okay. Oh, somebody phone my that's, that's another way of reaching out with two <laughs> I need I to go and find your TikToks now. I have one TikTok with my students and there are three of them, and I called their parents and made sure that it was okay, you know, to put them on there or whatever. But they, no, I actually have two. Um, it was the one that they wanted to do with me throwing down the ruler and everything in the class. So you can, if you look me up, it's Golden Teacher Rules. You can actually see one of those things where my classroom is there. You can see that in the boys. They they actually made that skit up themselves on the TikTok. But Dr. Wall, I wanted to go back to when you said that you can be anything. I had this one student who said he wanted to be a YouTube blogger, and people would make so much fun of him. This was two years ago. He said he wanted to be a YouTube Mm. blogger, and they would make fun of him. And I would say, stop. I would not allow them to make fun of him while they were in my class. I said, because there are some successful YouTube bloggers. You need to do the work and figure out what kind of lighting you need to do, what camera you need, you know, how to create content, how to edit videos. And I was like, he could be richer than everybody in here. It's some people, I um, and I, yep. I pulled up some YouTube bloggers like Logan Paul and all those other ones that the kids know about and CJ So Cool, and they make a living like millionaires on YouTube. Oh, yeah. So we, oh, yeah. we have to really be careful how we frame our words and, you know, telling our kids oh, what yeah. they can be. And we see now that the, the world is about the clicking order now. If you don't know anything about technology and getting online, um, my mom called me after this pandemic. She wanted to get something from Wingstop. And she was like, I don't know how to order online. I'm in Pennsylvania ordering for her all the way in Maryland. So, I mean, it's possible. Oh, yeah, it's possible. And, and if you look at history, a lot of the people who are very either famous and very wealthy now or who became famous throughout history, they were laughed at too. Oh, yes. And, Absolutely. you know, it, it's one of those things where children, children especially, but even their parents can learn something when they take that, those negative connotations and make them positive motivations and inspirations because, as I say, whenever I end a program, you know, turn that smile, that frown upside down. Um, of course, it used to be from an old, old adage for an old toy store back in the day, but I was doing that before it was even cool 
or if I, I didn't even know that it was cool to the toy store brand, but I had to learn how to take all of my tragedies and make them the best triumphs and, and all of those yeah. hurts and make them the most awesome healings. And that's the difference. Yeah. These children and their parents, and I, I'd love to sit down. That's why I created Focus, you know, females offering clarity, unity, and success. And even when I was doing the patent, I mean the um, trademark for that, the, the trademark attorney said, do you want to add a period at the end? Because there's no period on the end of the acronym FOCUS. And I said, no, because a period is the end. It finalizes mm. something. Yeah. I said, but that word yeah. stands for success. And success, you can go as far and as high as you want to until you're too tired to go any further. But by then, you're so far up. You can enjoy your time just coming back down. And when I say yeah. coming back down, that means that doesn't mean that you're you're losing everything. That means coming back down to the end of your days when you're going to that final resting place. So again, yeah. people need to understand something that our children need this type of nurturing. They need someone to show them that we care. When I um years ago, years, 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 I had a media production company. And I had a line with a huge nonprofit in Baltimore. And at the end of the program, these kids came and they said, that's the way my, 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 um, these counselors talked to us and this and that. I said, listen, I said, at the end of this, you get to tell your story your way on film. And yes. the children happened to, um, they wanted to, the, the, the production won a telly award. And, um, I went around to where they were. I talked to their foster parents and all of these people, and some of them, the foster parents adopted them in the end. And um, But I gave them a voice to Student tell their voice. stories. That's it. And that's what you, that's what we have to understand. And again, if you heal the students without healing where they're going next or home, then they're going to take several steps backwards. So a lot of the parents I stayed in contact with after the program was over, these kids are grown now. Some of them, they must be in their 30s or 40s by now. But um, some of them I know that I saw their foster parents and they've gone on to college and some have become doctors and this and that. And I'm like, I'm so proud of them. And, you know, and they're like, Next time I see the people, they're like, they said she remembers me. Of course I do. I have the film and everything. I'm like, why would I forget you? And that means so That's much funny. to them. You know? You know, that, Dr. Wong? That's just amazing. Mm-hmm. You said something in that statement that triggered something in me, and I always say this, and I I pray. I pray over my classroom. I pray. um those of you who don't know, my husband's a pastor. I'm a licensed minister in the gospel as well. And I pray, and I, I, I believe in the anointing or, you know, a symbolic, and I anoint. I have my prayer team came. They pray and everything. But I always say, God, you give me these children for seven hours a day. Help me to do what I need to do and deposit in them, what I need to deposit them in those seven hours that will hold them until they can come back again. 
And I always say, you know, if they come in broken, God, for those seven hours, help me to get them to a place of being fixed and let it hold them until they go back. Because these kids, they deal with domestic violence in the home, just all kinds of stuff in the home, you know, and everything. And um, right. like you were saying, that you do so much, and then we have to take them back here. And, like, I worry about my kids over the weekend. When we have the breaks in uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving and spring break and all that, I worry about them because some of them don't eat, you know. Some yes. of them are experiencing violence. They, like the one uh, person in the chat, they tell us everything. They tell us all these things. I am a mandated reporter. I have reported things. I, you know, I've done what I had to do, you know, professionally and everything. But I also know that I have to be that thing that makes them want to go further. I have to be that person that makes them see the value in themselves. I have to be that one good spot, that sweet they have, you know, not necessarily every day, because some of them don't want to have that sweet spot every day, but whenever the days that I can connect with them. It's not roses, and I'm not trying to present it like, oh, the classroom is just so good, because we go toe-to-toe, and it, some days the energy is off, and it's just that. But that's what I have to deal with, and I tell them we can always start over. How do you deal with a child right. when they come in and they're angry and they're throwing book bags and stuff around? And that I say, um, you want you need to take a break. Um, what do you need to do? You want to talk about it? Just leave me alone. How would you feel if your mother called you Diablo the whole way going to school? And for those of you who don't speak Spanish, Diablo means the devil. The devil. So this is what this child had to come to school with, well, you know. You, <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, you were saying that and that triggered something in me because my mother didn't call me Diablo, but she did call me a whore. Oh Lord. And to this day, and I'm almost too. 60. You know, I'm almost 60 and I'm like, okay. And you know, that story runs deeply as well. And I think that again, in this new age that's emerging out of this coronavirus and all of this and the next thing, I said, you know what? I said, the great I am sent this for us to recharge, rejuvenate for some of us. And for others, it was to rethink. And it's time for us to reroute everything that we have been doing. It's time for us to change the way that we do yeah. things. And that's why I said, maybe um, last night, it was uh, the first night that I opened up to my focus females group over on Meetup. We had a Zoom session and I told them, oh, you know what, if no one me. comes in, um, I'm going to do another one. Um, I do over on Meetup, same group, Focus, Females Offering Clarity, Unity, and Success Global. Um, and the, the sad part was that I had a huge group back when Google had groups, and when they said they were getting rid of them, I lost thousands of connections. Some did come over to the other social media sites, while others did not. And some I lost along the way, meaning they, they, they're no longer with me. And um, I would love for us, everyone, to get involved. And if we have to have a monthly meeting where we all come together just to talk, just to listen to one another, just to support one another, bring our talents together. Um, I'm a mediator, an advocate by profession. So, again... 
you need some some pointers and things that could could help in that realm. Uh, there's other people here who are into um, psychology and things like that, and yes. other teachers. I love the fact that we had other educators join us on the program tonight. We only have about 16 minutes left in the program. Um, so I want to say a few things, and then we'll turn it back over to you, Dion. But um, what I have here, let's see. I want to make sure that I hit on everything that I put down. Um, next week, same time here, 9 p.m., where my guest is going to be Harriet Tinker. She is the co-author of The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. I'm looking forward to having Harriet on. And as you can see, none of our programs are ever scripted. What will be, will be. Um, this program was born out of heartache and pain. This program was born out of um, domestic violence and rape. And, and um, again, this program was created out of me having nothing left but faith, forgiveness, and four pennies to my name. Um, this program was born out of the fact that you know, the person that I married who now is living right in my backyard a few yards away with the neighbor that he had the affair with, they have now moved into her parents' house because they both passed recently. And um, all of this, I look around and I see, um, I talk to, to the universe, I talk to the great I am, and I say, I get it. I had to go through all of this. All of that narrative has brought me back here tonight, and this is the return of healing through hurt, I Talk Radio. It's been off air a long time, for a couple of years, actually, because when I had decided to go back to school, I couldn't do everything, and healing through hurt was one of the things that I put on the back burner, but we're back now, better than ever, and what a beautiful show this was tonight. And thank you to Hadassah for coming here and staying and, and partaking in our conversation. Thank you yes. so much um, to uh, Tarjay and and Simo uh, and, and all of you in the call query. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And I want you all, I think that one of the things that has made us so, given us longevity is the fact that we bring the fire. We bring the passion. We You won't hear the same thing that you'll hear on another show. You will always hear the truth. You will always hear the hurt. You will hear, hear the pain. You will hear the disappointments. But most of all, you'll hear the healing. Yes. And that's all that we can do. And this is the thing. We have about 13 minutes left in our program. But, again, we'll be back here again at 9 p.m. next week. And I promise you all, I'll try to keep it, bringing some of the best guests, some of the best topics. Dion, if you want to come back, we'd love to have you because this has been such an insightful conversation today. And, um, oh, thank you, Hadassah. That was beautiful. She said, you're welcome. Hadassah, are you, I'm sorry, are you male or female? Because we keep saying she, but you mm -hmm. may be a he for all 
<laughs> we know. So love the roses, too. They're very beautiful, too. But um, we have this connection. And that's the one thing about this show that I love is that, again, when I've heard from people from all over the world who say, you know what, I listen to you and um, a lady, I think I shared this last week, she came back and she said, I've been looking for this show. I heard you back in January. And I said, really? And, you know, we became friends on Facebook and we're still friends. But I didn't realize mm-hmm. that she didn't mean January of that year. She meant January of the year before. Wow. So when you speak your truth, and this is somebody that I did not know, and somehow she was doing something with her daughter, and she's in California, and she said, I, found it. She said, I knew it when I heard your voice. And I said, wait, you meant you've been looking for me for a year? She said, yes, a year. Wow. And I'm like, okay. And, and you know, we're, we're we're here to expand. You know, we're here to expand. And when I do Zoom again, I'm waiting for the right group to get on Zoom so that we can expand and um, open it up to do a live session on Facebook and YouTube. Um, I have a channel there. I have channels everywhere. And so many people, while they're worried about telling people, I have 5,000 people on my page. I had to open up a new page. I said, you have five, 6,000 people. If you're only reaching two of them, what are you saying? I could have All for not. 200 people. and I could have 200 people. And out of that 200, 167 are active. You know, wow. it's just amazing, but we're much larger than that. This this program is much larger than that, and so many people are like, oh, my gosh, I saw the name, you're back, and you're actually back to the original show, and I said, yep, original time, original show, and I'm still here with people, and um, a lot of people have been here since day one, which is, oh, what, 11 years ago? I'm into my 11th oh, year, and they've seen me you. grow, and they've watched everything grow. So um, I always say that because I love the fact that we are so transparent here and we speak our truth week after week, no matter which program it is. Um, And that's what makes this work. And I want to thank you for believing, you and Pastor Golden, for believing because I don't have a clue how Pastor Golden and I started talking, but we have been talking for a while. And then yeah. all of a sudden, in God's time, it just kind of blossomed and it it exploded all by itself. I have no yeah. clue how he found me, none of that. But one day we started communicating, and then we started communicating some more, and then one thing led to another, and here we are. And these yes. are the things that matter in this world because we are sending a totally different message. You know, there's some people who will go directly to what he doing talking to somebody outside and without the wife and this and that. When oh, no. I had someone, I don't have those when her husband, you know, her husband sent me a friend request. I wrote to her and said, sis, I believe this is your husband. He sent me a friend request. Do you mind? And she said, I told him to friend you. And I was like, okay. She said, but she said, girl, she said, no one's ever done that. I'm like, done what? She said, contacted me and asked yeah. permission. And I'm like, 
Oh, I won't even hug somebody's husband. If I'm like, yeah. may I shake his hand or hug him? Or, and they said, oh, my gosh, yes. And we need to go back to that, having respect for yes. one another and taking care Absolutely. of one another. And then our children will begin to heal. So we have about eight minutes left. What would you like to leave us with? So I do have some closing thoughts. I want to first give thoughts to our educators. Um, we know that it's going to, um, what, we've, what we have been doing is broken. We know that. We know that some things are out of our control, but whatever sphere of influence that we have, we need to take that, grab it by the horns, and run with it. Remember to give students a voice. Talk to your administrators. Give your ideas. A lot of people now, the energy is shifting, the, the narrative is changing. If you had some ideas, if you want to implement certain things, I know some people said that their administrators don't talk to them or whatever. I'm the part, I'm the type of person that I'm just going to go. I talk to all three of my administrators. I even have a relationship with the superintendent of the school. She's the one that came to me and asked me to be on the equity team because I just believe in transparency. Um, run a club. I ran a club in my classroom, a sewing club after school. I went to these places. I got some sewing things. We just made masks. But this club was a setup for me to get to all the young girls and talk to them, you know, to build up their self-esteem. But be intentional in what you do. If you say you're going to do it, do it. If you say it's going to be Wednesday at 5, be there. You know, um, mentor mm-hmm. you. Um, and do it Do it with intention. Don't do it and don't be there. Also, um, so that, those are some, of my, some things that I want to leave for educators. And frame your words. And for the parents, get involved. Learn the system. Frame your words. Even educators, frame your words and know your words. And to the educators, I want you to just hold on to the fruit. It will eventually fall in your hands. We have the fruit in our hands. We're producing fruit in the students that we are blessed to service through education. Eventually, that fruit is going to get ripe, and it will fall in their hands. And I want to um, end it with this Egyptian proverb. It says, a pupil may show you by his own efforts how much he deserves to learn from you. So what are we giving our students? And when I'm talking about students, and I'm not talking just about students, I'm talking about us, period. What are we giving our young people to learn? They're good imitators, but what are we showing them to learn? Again, it says, a people show you by his own actions how much he deserves to learn from you. So the more that they're interested, the more that they take um, note of what you're doing, that means you're giving something that they desire. So they're showing you that they want to learn. So let's make sure that we frame our words. Let's make sure that we think about the whole child and the totality of it all and move on from here. Thank you so much for this platform. Thank you, Dr. Wall. Thank you for everyone who participated in the chat. Thank you for all my fellow educators. Continue to lift you. I will continue to lift you up in prayer. um, I want you guys to lift me up in prayer, and we're in this fight because educators, we are the ones that produce some of the most powerful people in the world. Someone had to educate Barack Obama. Someone had to educate Bill Gates. Someone had to educate all these people who have gone on to do these prolific things. So thank you again, and I am very humbled to have this platform. Thank you. 
And thank you so much. Um, oh, we're coming down the wire, people, and um, what a great show to for, to be our return program. Uh, if you want to get in touch, our number is 202-618-2556. If you want to reach out to Dion, you can do that. I will make sure that she gets it unless, Dion, you have a contact number. If not, you can come through the foundation Um and we will I'll be sure to get the messages to you. Okay. You want to do it now or you want to? Oh, no, I'll give it to you and you can give it to them. I don't, I don't have my number. Okay. Well, my, my cell phone okay. number is 512 803 If you want to reach me by way of Facebook, it's Dion Thompson Golden. You should be able to see her there. Um, if you want to see some of my funny TikToks and how I engage students, um, it's Golden Teacher Rules. My Instagram is Golden Teacher Rules as well, and I have a Twitter, Golden Teacher Rules as well. And last comment in the chat room, great show. Have a great rest of the evening, and remember to keep hope alive. Thank you so much, and with that said, as I have ended all of my shows for almost 11 years. I pray each and every one of you enough. I pray enough sunshine to brighten your rainy days. I also pray enough rain to make your gardens grow beautifully. I pray enough smiles to turn the frown you've been carrying around upside down. But most of all, I pray enough strength and courage to face whatever may be coming your way and knocking at your door at this very moment and beyond. Ever since she was on our show, Many, many years ago, Miss Tori Lee, she debuted her song, Good Music, and I promised her that that would be the theme song for Healing Through Hurt, I Talk Radio, and it has not changed. So as we begin, we will end with Miss Tori Lee's Good Music. This has been a great night of good company, good conversation. I hope you all Have a God-awesome remainder of your weekend and your week coming. Hope to see you back here again next week at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We all want to learn how to live a fantastic life, so join me as I welcome Harriet Tinka. And again, as uh, Dion has said many times, I'm Dr. C. (laughs) So (laughs) I hope to see you again soon. Take care, everyone. Have a great, great evening. I get lost in your words, it feels so good when I'm hurt Take my mind off of the pain, love when the beat takes me away With only good music, oh, 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 with only good music Something about the things you said stays in my mind Makes me wanna sit down and listen to you. I listen all night. Melody, the arrangement makes my body go so crazy. I tie my feet, man, I love the beat. It's the way the music comes over me. The emotions I get, I won't buy.
take some time for music is sure to make you cry, then dry your eyes. You know when the music is the way you can hide. Lie, I get lost in your words. It feels so good when I'm hurt. Take my mind off of the pain. Love when the beat takes me away with only good music. Oh. Please don't stop the music Cologne strum my pain with the fingers I could really use it Quiet storms full of purple rain My Sharia more lovely as a 